On Easter, the speaker would say, Christ is risen. The people would respond, Christ is risen indeed. Let's try it. Christ is risen. All right. My name is Hal Brady, and let me welcome you to this ministry. I'm so pleased you've joined me. Remember, what we're trying to do is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ 
in a vital, relevant, and biblical way. We're also seeking to offer encouragement to people. At any rate, my prayer is that you'll be blessed both by the Word and the music. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? It comes from Mark's Gospel, beginning at verse 1 in chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who would roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. And so, and go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So that they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me, please, for a moment of prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which are thy strength and our redeemer. Amen. There are paths that go around shrubbery and flowers. Benches are put here and there so people can sit down and meditate. Over to the side is the tomb. It's carved out of the hillside. There's a large stone rolled away from the tomb. So people are going in and out of the tomb all the time. My wife and I had the privilege of visiting that garden tomb a number of years ago when we were in Jerusalem with the executive committee of the World Methodist Council. I even had opportunity of administering communion there and it was quite a meaningful experience. The garden tomb is one of the two places believed to be the burial of Jesus. The other is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. A friend of mine told me he was conducting a tour in the Holy Land in Jerusalem and he took them to the garden tomb. And while they were going in and out of the tomb, his tour group, he saw a bench and he went up and sat down right beside a man who was already seated. The man looked at him and said, this place is so wonderful, I love it here. It's a place of serenity and peace. I come here sometimes two or three times every week. The minister looked at him and said, you must be a devout Christian. He said, no, I'm not a Christian at all. He said, this place is just so lovely and so serene. When I was thinking about this man's response, I was thinking that not everybody comes to the Easter experience the same way. Some people come to Easter worship because they believe in the Easter story. It's the glue that holds their faith together. Other people come to the Easter worship because someone invited them. Other people come out of habit. And then some people come like this man, simply because it's a lovely spot, a lot of pageantry and wonderful music, and it's a wonderful place to be. But you know, I'm not really concerned with how a person comes to Easter, but I am concerned with how a person leaves Easter. You see, there are many ways that you can leave a cemetery and an empty tomb. There are a lot of ways you can understand the resurrection of Jesus, and you can respond in different ways. Listen to this. The writer of Mark's gospel says, And they enter the tomb, 
they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. And Paul added in his letter to the Corinthians these words. He said, If anyone be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then there is a song that our young people sing that attest to this living resurrection. Listen. Every morning is Easter morning from now on. Every day is resurrection day. The past is over and gone. Goodbye, guilt. Goodbye, fear. Good riddance. Hello, life. Hello, son. I'm one of the Easter people. My new life has begun. Easter, then, is the day of resurrection. Easter is when the stone has been rolled away. First of all, Easter says that the reality of the resurrection is more important than the details. The reality of the resurrection is more important than the details. There was a Sunday school teacher that was talking to her class of children, and she wanted to know what they knew about the disciples. And so she asked the class, what do you know about Matthew? Absolutely nobody said anything. Everybody just sat there blinking. Then she said, all right, well, what about Luke? What do you know about Luke? Again, nobody moved. That was complete silence. And so she moved to John. She said, well, what do you know about John? Nobody said anything. So finally she said, well, what about Peter? Surely you know something about Peter. What do you know about Peter? Finally, one little girl on the front row very bashfully raised her hand. And the teacher said, all right, Beth, what do you know about Peter? What can you tell us about Peter? She said rather bashfully, I think he was a wabbit. I think he was a wabbit. Easter is the day of resurrection, much more than simply a story of wabbits. You see, the heart of our faith rests in the resurrection. If some of you are wanting proof that Jesus Christ is alive, I can honestly say that I don't have any to give. No preacher can prove it. Neither can any teacher or any book or even the Bible. The Bible does not tell us specifically how the resurrection occurred. It does not give us a description of how the resurrection occurred. So if you're going to believe the resurrection, you're going to have to do it out of faith, not out of proof. It's going to be, have to believe out of faith. Bishop Will Willimon says this, you can't really see the resurrection. You have to believe the resurrection before you can see it. Now, what can we say about the different details about the Easter event? For sure, these details are different. For instance, Mark has two women going to the tomb that first Easter morning. Matthew has three women going. Luke has a number of women going. John has only one woman going. So we have to admit that the details of the story of the Easter event are different. But the reality of the story is the same. For instance, all of these writers agree on certain things. These writers agree that Jesus was raised by God. In Acts, the word is, you kill the author of life, the one whom God hath raised from the dead. And then we know that these uh, disciples were confronted by Jesus. They didn't just think up this tale of fiction of a happy ending. They were confronted by Jesus. And then the accounts all agree that the disciples' lives were changed. The greatest proof of the reality of Jesus Christ is not the empty tomb. 
It's the transformation of the lives of the disciples. Now, in the New Testament, there are two pictures. The first picture occurs the night after the crucifixion. These disciples are gathered in the upper room. They are barricaded behind locked doors. They are fearful for their very lives. They are stunned and disappointed. And they believe, as the creed said, dead and buried. Not only was he dead and buried, but their movement was dead and buried as well. That's one picture. But then the second picture has the same group of disciples a couple of weeks later. They're no longer barricaded behind closed doors. They're no longer fearful of their lives. Now they're out on the street. They're full of contagion and joy as they're sharing this message of a living Lord. These people are absolutely fearless. And this beautiful picture, this beautiful movement suddenly thrusts on the stage of the world's history. Now these accounts tell us many things that are absolutely the same. Beloved, look carefully at these two pictures. One is blasted hope. The other is hope blasting the world. These disciples are different. They've changed. Do we have an answer for that? It's what the angel said. He is not here. He has been raised. William Sangster was a great preacher of the 20th century. Toward the end of his life, he became very ill, and his vocal cords became paralyzed. So one day he said, right after Easter, shortly before he died, he wrote a little note. He couldn't talk. He wrote a note to his daughter, and he said, how terrible to wake up on Easter morning and want to proclaim Christ is alive and you can't talk. But he said it's even worse to have a voice and not want to proclaim Christ is alive. So let me tell you, let me make it loud and clear. The reality of the resurrection is more important than the details. And then secondly, Easter says that God has the answer to life's immovable stones. God has the answer to life's immovable stones. Let me ask you a question. What one word would you use to describe the reaction of those first disciples that went to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning? What one word would you use to describe their reaction? Do you have a word? Maybe it's one of these words, fear, mystery, doubt, unbelief, praise, thanksgiving, mighty, what? For sure, these are different reactions and they vary. But if I had a reaction, I think I would say that reaction is surprise. Surprise, surprise, for as Mary, the two Marys and Salome moved toward the tomb. They were worried about who was going to roll away the stone from the door of the tomb. Now, they were thinking in terms of earthly factors only. And when you think in terms of earthly factors, that was an impossible situation. That stone was too big for those women. They couldn't possibly have moved it away. And you see, it's kind of akin to a kind of thinking like that. Many of us have that kind of thinking. When we look out on the world, look at some particular situation, we tend to think that it's an immovable stone that's blocking us. Nothing can happen. But you see, that kind of thinking leaves out God. It leaves out God. For sure, as far as the women were concerned, they couldn't move that stone, that mountainous stone. But you see, it wasn't just a human situation. God had moved that stone. God has the answer to life's immovable stones. There's a story about Martin Luther. Martin Luther, this courageous man who faced popes and princes, one day he succumbed to depression, and he couldn't pull himself out of it. 
And one morning he was sitting at the breakfast table and his wife tiptoed down the stairs. She had on a black dress. She was in mourning. She tiptoed around the room and she locked the windows and she locked the doors. And about that time, a bewildered Martin Luther said, is somebody dead? His wife replied, yes, Martin, you know, God is dead. Martin Luther took the hint. He knew that if you put your faith in God, that you could not remain hopeless very long. You could not remain hopeless very long. A Catholic priest said that he worked in a hospital for the seriously ill near Cambridge, Massachusetts, and he said on Friday the hospital chaplaincy group would come and lead a discussion. He said one day they were totally shocked when a woman named Doris, who was confined to a wheelchair, said to the group these words. She said, you know, I've always looked at this chair as my cross, but she said, lately I've come to see it as my resurrection. She said, she said, without this chair, I would have to stay in the same place all the time. Life would be so dull. This chair, she said, is my resurrection. Some people are looking from a worldly standpoint at a mountainous stone they can't move away. But Christians and people of faith see something else when they look. So these disciples believed in themselves and in their cause. Why? Because they believed God had raised Jesus from the dead, and that meant that absolutely nothing was impossible. Somebody said that you can live 40 days without food, and you can live about three days without water, and you can live about eight minutes without air, but you can't live for a single second without hope. That was this little girl. She was six years old. She was watching a film on the life of Christ with her parents. The people had done a good job because the death scene was tremendous, and as she watched, tears started flowing down her cheeks, especially when she watched them tenderly take the body down, put it in a barred grave, and then they posted a guard outside the tomb after they had sealed it. And all of a sudden, the little girl who was so sad jumped up in a chair with a big smile on her face, and she said, now comes the good part. And so it does, and so it is. Now comes the good part. God has the answer to life's immovable stones. And then thirdly, Easter says that mercy and forgiveness are always available. Mercy and forgiveness are always available. You know, for years, my wife and I received a letter every week from her mother. And usually in that letter, her mother would say something of much interest to me. She would say, and tell how. And tell how. I perked up my interest. Usually she would give some good news. And it was something that I would want to hear. Well, that's exactly what's going on in this Easter passage. You remember, the women went into the tomb and the, the angel said to them these words, Don't be surprised. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's come back to life. Now go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And tell Peter. Undoubtedly, these are some of the most precious words in this whole passage. You see, here was, Jesus, here was Peter living in anguish. And when Jesus said, go tell Peter, what he meant was that all the bad things that these disciples had done in recent days and the denial of Peter didn't count anymore. God still wanted to use them for his purposes. You see, they were forgiven. Will Williman said he had preached a sermon at Duke Chapel. And he said he stayed in that chapel was the outstanding New Testament professor, W.D. Davies. And he said he gave him a call that afternoon after he had preached his Easter sermon. And he said, good sermon. Today, he said, you were engaging as usual. 
He said, let me ask you a question. He said, why is it that I hear so few Easter sermons on forgiveness? He said, in my understanding, forgiveness is at the heart of the Easter message, just like victory over death. Forgiveness is at the heart of the Christian message. When I read that, I simply bowed my head and I said, God, please forgive me for not preaching more on forgiveness. Suppose Jesus had said to his disciples something like this. He had said to them, where were you? He said, you know, I was hoisted up on that cross and I could see pretty clearly. When I looked out there, I didn't see any of you. Where were you? What if he had said that? Where were you? Now, if we are going to follow Jesus Christ, if we are going to be faithful to Christ and obedient to Christ, then we have to have room for a lot of forgiveness. We need God's forgiveness over and over and over again. And thank God, the message says, and tell Peter, which gives us our forgiveness. And then this one other thing I want to say. Easter says that we are to become stone rollers, stone rollers. You remember what the women were told? They were told by the angel, go and get these other men and y'all join Jesus in Galilee. Why Galilee? Galilee was the place of Jesus' previous ministry, and Galilee was the place where he was going to start his ministry again. In all honesty, I have some troubling news for some of us. If we've come to Easter worship looking for Jesus, we just missed him. He's not there. You see, he's out in the world. He's out in Galilee. He's out in our cities. He's out there ministering to people who have a need. And if we come to Easter worrying about who's going to roll away the stone, we'll find that God has already rolled it away and Jesus is out in the world calling us to ministry and mission in his name. So the truth is, we don't need to be trying to figure out how to get into the tomb. What we need to do is try to figure out how to help other people get out of their tombs. We're called to be stone rollers for other people. Now, let me conclude this. James Harnish told a story of a little boy who wasn't too impressed with Easter. As a matter of fact, he didn't want to go to church. His shoes were too tight. His tie pinched his neck. The day was beautiful. He didn't want to be cooped up inside. So on the way to the church, his parents heard him sulking in the back seat of the car. And he said, why do we have to go to church on Easter anyway? He said, they tell the same old story, and it ends in the same old way. Well, thank God it does. Thank God it does end in the same old way, because in that ending there is our hope and our peace and our love and our joy. Christ is not here. Christ has been raised. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Oh God, how thankful we are for this Easter time. We are grateful, oh God, for the hope that wells in our hearts because you have sent your son into the world. He lived and died and you have raised him again for life, for all of our lives. Help us, oh God, to receive afresh this message and help us to respond in every way to be the kind of people you call us to be, stone rollers for other people. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you so very much for joining me for this particular service. I'm delighted, and I pray that it's been a blessing to you, and I pray that you will go out and be a stone roller for somebody else. Have a good evening. Good night. Thank you.
So 